Welcome back to another Valley Sports Plug Roundtable. It is August 10th, 2023. I am Chris Patrick, and joining me this evening are my sidekicks, my wingmen, my colleagues, Mr. Michael Benjamin and VSP Tallman. What's going on, fellas? What up, what up, Chris Tallman? Dude, I mean, I thought it was the, supposed to be the slow time of the year, but oh my goodness, man, there's just been so much going on, and you know we had to get back to it. And, and get some friends to come along and share their opinions as well. Hell yeah, what's going on, fellas? I'm uh, I'm sweating my ass off, but let's do it. <laughs> well, Tom, and how'd you golf yesterday, man? Oh, God. I feel like I haven't stopped sweating since yesterday. Um, <laughs> I golfed like I just picked up a golf club for the first time yesterday, so... Um, it was terrible. <laughs> there, there are some, I was out there with Tallman and there are some holes where we looked like we knew what we were doing and we could golf par. And then there were some other holes where uh, you would think it was our first time out on the course. So it was, uh, oh, it was, it was an interesting day. <laughs> struggle was real, man. Struggle was definitely real. But you got to take advantage of that cheap summer golf in Arizona. Like the, I think we paid 30 bucks for a full 18 on the, on the bear course at Bear Creek. Yeah, and it was I mean, twenty for the Cub course. So, I mean, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> it's better than paying a hundred bucks when it's actually uh, it's actually cold outside. So yeah, absolutely. If if you want to learn golf, anyone out there, just make sure you go in the summer when it's cheap. Wear a lot of sunscreen, take a lot of water, and you'll be just fine. After like after you tee off and you're in the car, you just you settle in, and it's not too bad. It doesn't feel like you're actually dying, and it helps if you uh, bring a few beers too. Uh, but fellas, like Michael said, plenty to talk about. Um, I did actually, before we dive too deep into this, of course, Mike said there's a lot going on here, a lot of off season for the Suns and the Cardinals. But the football season is right around the corner. I think we're like four weeks away. Cardinals got a preseason game tomorrow. Um, Tallman, I got to ask you this. Is the Tallman ticket coming back in 2023-2024? You bet your ass it is. We are... We are getting ready to <laughs> set records. We're going to go on uh, our longest losing streak ever. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to guess. Uh, but we're going to be hitting the people with the weekly Tallman ticket and see if we can get creative with it. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll win. We'll probably lose though. So I guess you're going to have to follow along to see how it goes. No, we're putting some good juju out there, man. You're going to hit within the first four weeks. I can just feel it this time, man. <laughs> It's going to be an inverse of last season because if you hit one ticket, then it's already better than last season. You're right. I think There's nowhere to go a, up. Yeah, a nice like 019 if you include the Super Bowl one. I, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, yeah. but the Super Bowl one was the damn closest. So you're already taking the proper steps where you need to go. See? Okay. Yeah. See if any of that positivity rolls over into this season. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And you can catch that every Sunday morning on TikTok. And we'll post the link, I believe, on uh, Twitter or now X. And uh, I don't know, Instagram. We'll put it out there so you guys know where to find it. You can check it out and see if you want to follow along with Tallman and maybe win some money, probably lose some money. Uh, we are not financial advisors here. But yeah, fellas, going to talk about Cardinals preseason. We got some conference realignment and uh, ASU joining the Big 12 amongst some other schools. There are a couple Suns legends being inducted into the Suns Ring of Honor in Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion. I, I know I'm an advocate for that. A lot of people are really excited about that. And then 
the elephant in the room, the Arizona Diamondbacks season absolutely crumbling and falling apart as they are now under 500, uh, I think for the first time since April or maybe the first time all season. It's uh, it's getting ugly out there. But before we get too far along, we do have a guest joining us for this roundtable. Otherwise, it would just be a Heat Check podcast live. Joining us this evening is the incredible Ben Miller. What's going on, baby? You are muted, sir. First time on the stream? Oh, Ben. Eric, let me do it again. There we go. <laughs> Still got to get that uh, sound. Happy to be on, guess. It's a pleasure to have you, as always. As anyone returning knows, Ben Miller is our expert in all things college sports, specifically ASU and the Pac-12. I mean, the Big 12. He will be sharing his insights with us as we kind of move through this. So, Let's not waste any time, as you can tell there's a lot to talk about, but before we get into that, I do want to waste a little bit of time and play this video. Uh, it's a compilation of clips I found on the internet, and I think it kind of tells the tale of uh, what's kind of happened with this conference realignment. Thanks, everybody. Really, I, I really, really appreciate it. Very special. Now, Milton, don't be greedy. Let's pass it along and make sure everyone gets a piece. Okay, but last time I didn't receive a piece, and I was told that Just I Just pass. Okay. Yep. But this, this, if, if, there, there, I, I think the, the, the cake, there's lots of cake, but too many people. The ratio of people to cake is too many. Sorry. Sorry. Do you want to go? Thank you, and may God bless America. All right, just a couple introductions with the chat here. This is John O'Rourke. Nice to meet you, John. Mr. Ian Roberts. Right. Nice to meet you. Peter Tensio. All right. Nice to meet you. Jerome Smith. Come on, brother. What's up, fam? <laughs> you know this. Keith Williamson. Nice to meet you. Mary right. Woodbury. Nice to meet you. Jay Martell. Nice to meet you, sir. Tasha Robbins. Come on, come oh. on, come on. <laughs> feel that? Emily George. All right. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Daryl Stokes. Come on. What's up, fam? How you doing? All right. Never forget about that, because that's all we got. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right. Oh, bring it in, bring it in. <laughs> Starting from the bottom, now we're here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, very good to meet you. All right. Here we go. Right this way, sir.
get out. Get out, she said. You know, it's funny because it's those two teams that started off this entire season of realignment with Texas and OU going to the SEC from the Big 12. But, I mean, I think the main thing is to savor what we have as the last year of the Pac-12 as it is. The last year of Pac-12 after dark. And, you know, like many Pac-12 after dark games, this last about two weeks of realignment has been wild, crazy, and really surprising with twists and turns. So uh, this entire part got started to go back a little bit with Colorado announcing about two weeks ago that they are going to go back to the Big 12, where they were a Big 12 member for about like 10 years prior to joining the or 20 years prior to joining the Pac-12 in 2011. After that, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, got a lot of pressure from the presidents of the universities in the Pac-12 saying, hey, where's our media deal? You've been saying that we are going to have a media deal that is going to be bigger, better, and better times than what the Big 12 has at $31.7 million per year per school over the next five years, I believe. George uh, has imposed a lot of self-inflicted wounds, and it's been horrible mismanagement, where he has made sure that there is these self-imposed deadlines to have a media deal that he's extended every two weeks for, for the last eight months with nothing to show for it. So this past Tuesday, George finally sat down with the presidents and said, hey, here's my media deal. It was 100% streaming with no guarantee of cable uh, broadcasts on live TV, as well as different tiers for payouts. Um, so depending on how many more Apple TV subscribers the Pac-12 portion of Apple TV got, that's how much money, more money the schools would get in turn. But the base pay for it was much lower than the uh, Big 12 number. It was about $20 million per school under this Pac-12 full streaming deal. So that wasn't acceptable to most other teams. And that's when Arizona really started pushing to join the Big 12. Because them and Colorado were the two one teams most flirting with making that jump. Um, the crazy thing is the Big 12 is really bragging about how much of an impact Colorado joining has when Colorado has sucked for the last like 30 years. I think they won a national championship before most of us were born. I don't know about uh, Mr. Benjamin. <laughs> but they got Coach Prime, Ben. They got Prime. They got Prime and they're going to keep losing anyway. But anyway, so that really motivated once the Arizona Board of Regents stepped in about realignment and said, Arizona, Arizona State, you guys need to stay together. We want you to stay together. That really stopped President Crow from holding them onto the Pac-12. And then once Oregon and Washington bolted for the Big Ten, there was nothing left for us. We had to make our move. And now we're going to be the Western portion of the Big 12, which I was so afraid that uh, we were going to get left behind in the Pac-5 if we were there. But fortunately, we landed somewhere else, and we will continue to be a power conference. Yeah, that TV deal is just astonishing to me, because how do you have networks that are carrying like pickleball and wiffle ball and all these nonsense sports, but you can't find a TV partner for college football and a power five conference? It just 
absolutely blows my mind. And I know they probably, I'm sure they probably thought they were being revolutionary with the streaming deal and oh, streaming's the wave of the future. But to go 100% streaming and on Apple TV is just laughable. Like the biggest thing for me is the the three of us here in Arizona were uh, going to a Diamondbacks game and we went, or were we going to a Diamondbacks game? We were going to something downtown and we just wanted to have the Diamondbacks game on the TV. Oh, that's right. We were going to the Logic concert and the Diamondbacks game was on TV. Um, well, it was on Apple TV and at the bar, they can't put on Apple TV. So if the Pac-12 were to be exclusively on Apple TV, that means that it's not going to be shown at any sports bar at all. And that's just yeah. completely ridiculous. Like, Mike, I'll pass it over to you. Like, what do you think like about if they were to take that deal and you not being able to go out somewhere and watch the game? <laughs> I mean, I think if you're a bar owner, you'd have to cough up the extra dough to make sure that you can play the territorial cup when it comes down to it. So I think they would figure out ways to do that. But that's that's just not what we wanted. And it's not what the Pac-12 honestly deserved with the rich tradition that really encapsulated this conference for so long but i know ben talked about how really a lot of these moves started with texas and oklahoma going to the sec but the true downfall for the pac-12 and i think where the tv deals really got killed was also from usc and ucla heading out of the conference and making that announcement i mean a couple of years ago now ben right but when exactly was that 2021 maybe 13 months ago oh okay so I, it's just hard to really throw extra dollars like you could at the Big 12 when you're losing a large market in California. And I know we love Pac-12 after dark, but I mean, those two schools are just such powerhouses. When their football teams are good, they're great. When their basketball teams are good, they're elite. And they're teams that are consistently making big runs and have huge fan bases. So to lose those early was an early dagger for the Pac-12. So, I mean, money rules the world, fellas. We already know that. So I'm not surprised it ended up going this way, unfortunately. And and to catch anyone up who hasn't been uh, staying in the news, basically, as we're talking about the Big 12 and teams joining from the formerly Pac-12, uh, the teams joining the Big 12 in 2024 are the University of Arizona, Arizona State University, University of Colorado, and the University of Utah. And then there's two teams, as you kind of maybe saw in that clip, leaving uh, the Big 12 in 2024 in Oklahoma and Texas. So they're going to be the Big 14 now, I guess. But then also Big 16. There's 16 oh. teams in the Big 12 as of 2024. Oh, geez. I didn't do as much research as I thought I did. Uh, but And then, again, uh, more teams. There are four other teams that are leaving the Pac-12 in UCLA, Oregon, uh, USC, and Washington. And they're all going to the Big Ten now, which are they going to be the they're going to be the new Big 12? The Big Ten also has 16 teams, I think. Oh, good Lord. So or, or 14 teams. It's it's insane. So before this, the Big 12 had 10 teams and the Big Ten had 12 teams. Hmm. So to start it off being confusing. Now they're both going to have 16 teams. So we'll see what happens with the naming conventions for it. But yeah, the Big 12 also after Utah or not Utah, uh, Oklahoma, Texas left. They went out and were proactive and got four teams to join. They got the four best mid-major teams that they could find: Cincinnati, UCF, uh, BYU, and Houston, right? Houston and Houston. 
Yeah, four very strong football or basketball programs. Cincinnati going to the uh, college football playoff last year or two years ago. UCF having that like two-year stretch where they were, went undefeated and no one would play them or let them into the college football playoff. And then Houston going to the Final Four and BYU being BYU. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Tallman, to loop you in here, get you get you going – are you concerned about uh, the travel of this big country-wide conference now where ASU is going to have to travel to UCF once a year to go play down there in Central Florida? Yeah, that's been a huge concern. Because uh, when you say ASU, I mean, if you're talking about just football, I mean, what, that happens once a week, usually on the weekend. And if you look at where ASU is at, I mean, we're not all the way – yeah, we're on the West Coast, but we're not, you know – uh, LA, San Francisco, or, you know, up in Portland. So it's not going to be too bad for football, but I mean, you got to feel for some of these other uh, student athletes. When you talk about, uh, you know, base, even baseball and basketball, I mean, what they're playing two three times a week, sometimes during the week, how's that travel going to work out? Um, and then you think about the Olympic sports. I mean, you, you're going to have to be, they're going to have to be traveling all over the country and there's a lot of students student athletes have come out and they're really upset about it and then you think about what's that added expense of travel when you're traveling farther and longer um i've even heard people complain about the carbon footprint you know you guys are going to be getting on planes flying all over the place just because you guys want to make more money and you said tv killed the pac-12 money the the greed is killing college sports as we see it and it's all about money. So um, travel is a big, is a big deal. You think about, think about if you're just playing college baseball, man, you're going to be traveling all over the place, all over the country. That's a great point. And Ben, you can maybe piggyback off this, but like, especially with the Olympic sports and those other sports, it's, a, I feel like a lot of these, like you said, the athletes are upset because this isn't what they signed up for. This isn't what they were recruited for. They didn't expect to be having to have their class schedule. I mean, especially those people who aren't going to go on to be professional athletes. They're there to get an education on a scholarship. And is that now going to be harder with all this travel? Yeah, I think for sure it is. That's going to be a tougher part of it. But I think with a, with leagues expanding up to be, over 16, 18 teams, you're not going to be able to play against every single team in a year. I think basketball or some other of those Olympic sports would be able to make that happen, uh, where you play everyone in a series, everyone everyone one or two times a year. Football is that its own thing, where it's, it's once a week, you can charter a plane, you can get to where you need to go. The actual travel time between the current Pac-12 now and the Big 12 for ASU on average is only about 200 miles more per trip each way, which is about an hour more of flight time too. So with the added money, about 10 million more with the Big 12 deal compared to the Pac-12 deal, that will go to helping those travel costs, helping make sure that the student athletes have those academic advisors with traveling with them to make sure that they are really doing both of those things that they want to do. Um, but overall, like the hour of flight time, that's not too much of a big difference, except for those sports where you will be having those more frequent games, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball. But that's something that they're going to need to spend a lot of time figuring out in the next about year and a half until, or a year until they start enjoying. 
Yeah, they they be they need to sit down and figure it out. I think I've seen proposals of like a a Big Twelve East and a Big Twelve West, and kind of like dividing them up like that, and that might be a kind of the way to do it. But uh, there's still time. That's the good thing is there's still time. Like you said, the Pac-12 is still intact for this season coming up, and that extends obviously to all those other sports as well. But when we're talking about ASU, and they were kind of, I think. Um, it was either Michael Crow or Anderson said that they were the stalwarts in trying to keep the Pac-12 together, as you kind of saw Will Ferrell there on the escalator scene. Mike, is ASU joining the Big 12 out of desire or desperation? Or out of spite. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think at this point, it probably was desperation. And I'd love to really hear what Ben thinks about that. But, I mean, they we, we've known, we've heard the reports – you know, they were holding on for dear life to see if they could salvage this thing in any which way that they could. But, you know, these other schools, they had made up their mind. They were ready to go. And instead of being left in the dust, like, unfortunately, Stanford and Oregon State and Washington State and and Cal are now, you know, at, at least they made a move with U of A. So they have a partner in crime, I guess you could state. Um, and and see where to go from there. But yeah, I, I think the only way to look at it was probably out of desperation. So, yeah, I mean, there was a ton. One of the roller coasters of last week was the of the will they won't they will the Arizona schools make the jump? And we really linked up with Utah to be a firm three three team part, just going like, hey, if we're gonna go, we're all gonna go together. But up until Friday, like Thursday night, everyone went to sleep thinking, oh, the Pac-12 actually might meet and sign this Grant of Rights deal and actually go with the Pac- with the Apple TV deal as presented because that deal was expiring at the end of the week after it was presented. Oregon and Washington used that goodwill of like, oh, the Pac-12 is going to stay together to go from being a half-share member of the Big Ten to getting the full 70 to $80 million payout per year that the Big Ten schools get from their media deal. So they just fleeced the Pac, uh, both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to get as much money as possible. The other part with that, too, that about where a, who at ASU was being the most hesitant, it was Michael Pro. He was the biggest supporter of Larry Scott and all of the different mismanagement of the Pac-12 for his entirety as president of ASU, as well as just all of this mismanagement. So we had to go because I don't want ASU or U of A to be caught with the Pac-12 and with these over $70 million of debt that they have from being overpaid by Comcast for about 10 years from our previous media deal. So with all of that, I think that to a person, every single person involved with ASU, including the fan base, was let's go, it's time to leave, the Big 12 has more opportunities. And because our coaching staff is smart and wants to have the best players put together the best team, we've already been putting inroads into recruiting here in Texas too, to get some of these Texas guys and get those relationships built, which by going and making sure that we're joining the Big 12, we're going to have road games here in Texas in one of the most fertile recruiting grounds of the entire country for football. So it's a, it's a win-win for us. It makes sense. It's just Michael Pro is the one person trying to keep the Pac-12 alive. Yeah, and I don't, I don't blame him for that. I think in a perfect world, I, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think we would have wanted to see the Pac-12 stay together, get a good, reasonable media deal. I mean, you have uh, over a hundred years of history 
and the conference of champions and now it's just fallen apart within the matter of a couple weeks and you mentioned asu and u of a being a package deal i think that was absolutely necessary because you can't give up the territorial cup whereas we're seeing now oregon and washington leaving their rivalries to go out to a different conference uh tallman like did you see that um I think it was Oregon. Maybe both Oregon and Washington were saying like, oh, we'll still play you. We'll still have a rivalry. I, I did see that. That was funny. Um, I mean, it's sad that over 100 years, what, since 1907, 08, um, since the Pac-12 has been around, over that much time, that much history is just gone in a matter of what? I mean, 13 months. This all started to build up in 13 months, and we just killed over 100 years of history. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought that whole thing. No, we're, we're going to come back. We're going to play you guys. But I mean, if, if Washington and Oregon, they're going to be so superior, they're going to come back and put an ass whooping on them every time they play. Where's the rivalry? There's no competitiveness. It's ridiculous. It's like ASU playing NAU. Oh yeah. Well, we're going to keep playing you guys, but you know, we definitely expect to go out there and kick some lumberjack ass every time we play them. So I, I thought that was funny. Um, but I, I guess you can't knock them for trying to try to be a little more friendly with their exit. Yeah, I get. But is it really a rivalry between ASU and NAU when, like you said, we just stomp them all the time? No, it's it's like tra- tradition, right? Or yeah, I don't know. But that's what I think. We that's always, what it would. Yeah, Ben, that's what it would turn into, right? Like with Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon's obviously in an elite conference. And then who knows where Oregon State's going to end up? So after five years, it's not even going to be a rivalry anymore because it's just going to be Oregon stomping the shit out of them. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be with the money and the resources that the programs have whatever wherever Oregon State and Washington State and Stanford's going to be fine they have like a 70 80 billion dollar endowment they're fine um the Cal, Cal schools like they don't even care about sports who cares Wazoo and Oregon State are the two that were left behind they are the two whose programs will have the most financial questions about what's going to happen and also have a much harder time on the recruitment tra- trail to show like hey no you you want to come play with with us you, this is a power conference. You'll be playing with us, but you'll be playing against the likes of USC, Arizona State, Oregon. That doesn't exist anymore. They're going to end up somewhere likely the Mountain West, but we don't even know yet. It's going to be rough. And it's not just those schools. Like You're seeing it across the landscape like with uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma is going to the SEC, and Oklahoma State's obviously staying in the Big 12. So... I just think it's kind of it kind of sucks that we're seeing so much change, but sometimes you know they say change can be good. So this could spawn new rivalries. I know um, I, I mix them up all the time, but I think was it Ray Anderson that was already making enemies with the Morgantown comments? Oh yeah, Ray Anderson went and said like someone asked him, was asking, "Oh, how do you feel about ASU having to travel all the way to West Virginia to play?" And he just said. Oh, I'm not going to that. I'll send the deputy athletics director. I'm not. I'm not going to the Morgantown games. And just like, dude, you have one job. It's like represent the athletics and the university. Like, don't go disparaging the one conference that was like, hey, no, come, come on in, ASU, join us. <laughs> like, just like, what the hell? Like, where did that come from? Just slapped us out of nowhere. But it'll be interesting. Like you said, we'll we'll continue to have Ben on um, ASU topics or big 12 topics or regardless we love having been here and we're gonna keep an eye on the last and keep an eye on and enjoy the last season of the pac 12 
and keep things pushing. But I want to move forward here in the stream as we're about 30 minutes in. And joining us from his 9 to 5 to 2, his 5 to 9, is Mr. Ian with no special tag tonight. What's going on, Ian? Yeah. I couldn't. I, I was drawing a blank. I'm sorry. Uh, next time I'll have I'll have a doubly whippy one for you. But I've grown, today... I've grown accustomed to a certain way of life, Ian. You can't just <laughs> take that away from me. I know it's 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 an emotional whiplash for you, and I'm, I apologize. But th- things will get better. I'll 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 change. I promise. I appreciate it. If you ever need help, man, you can text me. Maybe I can help you come up with something snappy. You're not wrong. I probably should do that. <laughs> Carrying a heavy load over here. Right. Hey, either way, man, we're glad you're here joining us. Better uh, better late than never. Not that you're late. You're right on time because we've just talked about college sports and the realignment there. And now I want to touch on a Suns-related topic. I don't know if you heard about this, Ian. The Suns are going to be inducting Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion into their ring of honor and retiring their jersey numbers. You think that's a, a well-deserved uh, achievement for them? I think so, especially with Sean Marion, for sure. I know that Amari uh, Stoudemire, uh, this back half of his career, definitely had some injury issues, things like that. But, you know, the Suns don't give a shit about that. The Suns care about how he did with the Suns. So, you know. That being said, his time with the seven seconds or less sons, I think that that needs to be honored. Uh, Steve Nash is already in there, if I'm not mistaken. So he is. Why not have two others from that time in there? No, I agree uh, for the most part. Um, Mike, I want to kind of get your take on this as our uh, resident sons expert. But you mentioned Steve Nash there. I feel like a lot of Amari Stoudemire's success can be attributed to him. And a lot of people say they were like a, that era's Stockton and Malone, or maybe even better. Uh, and and as Ian also said, Amari did not do so good when he went to the Knicks and, and the later part of his career. So, so, I mean, still probably deserved, right? Oh, I mean, definitely deserved, man. These are two guys that this is almost like five to eight years too late. I can't believe that it's taken the Phoenix Suns this long. But at the same time, you can believe it because of the previous ownership. So it was funny. I think uh, Sean Marion called into AZ Sports today, and one of the first comments he said was, uh, when I got the call from Matt Ishbia, my first comment was, man, what took so long? You know, <laughs> like these guys were part of an era in Phoenix Suns basketball that is near and dear to my heart. I mean, you guys know I was on the floor with these guys. 2004-2005 was my first season as a ball boy, and it was the first time that Steve Nash came back to the Valley, uh, started his MVP run, and you know these guys were an integral part of it. And as far as Amari Stoudemire, because you asked the question, Chris, you have to allude a lot of his success to Steve Nash, the passer that he was, the you know great court vision he had, but. Amar Stoudemire was also a dog. He worked on his craft. He expanded his range. He became a lethal 18-foot shooter and, you know, really helped propel this team to a couple of Western Conference Finals um, appearances. And, man, I I, I just get good tidings when I think about these guys because these were two of the nicest guys that I ever met as a ball boy and some of the best people in the NBA that I ever dealt with. And Sean Marion, for the longest time, he was my favorite player. You know, I just remember him being on the tail end of 
the Sunburst logos before we switched over to, you know, uh, honestly, not the best ones that the Suns have ever had. But, you know, I just think of him playing with Stefan Marbury, Penny Hardaway, guys like Rodney Rogers, Tony Delp, just memories of my childhood. And Sean Marion had one of the craziest second jumps I'd ever seen and one of the craziest jump shots I'd ever seen. So I think it's more than well-deserved. And this is definitely going to be a game that I will not miss whenever um, they actually get it scheduled. I'll make sure to be there. And you'll have to schedule to go to two games because they're not inducting them the same night. They're giving them each their own separate night to be inducted and honored, which I think is the right move. But Talman, um, who should be inducted first? Man, that's... That's very opinionated, right? Whichever one you say. Um, I would have to say Amari Stoudemire. Am I wrong? It's like you said, it's, it's subjective because, I mean, Sean Marion was like the the like original two-way player, but probably not. But he, like from my memory, he was a great two-way player for the Suns. He could do it on defense and on the offensive end. Like Mike said, he had that crazy jump shot that I uh, imitated when I was smaller and couldn't quite – get enough power on a one-arm shot. Um, but yeah, I I think we traded Marion first uh, for Shaquille O'Neal. A- am I mistaken in that, Mike? We let Sean go before we let Amari go? Um, I think you might be right. And then it was not very too long after before Amari was gone to New York. Um, because once again, with Robert Sarver, we couldn't figure out contracts for guys that had been absolute key pieces for us for a number amount of years. So he ended up, you know, going his own way. But like Ian said, I mean, he did have some good years with the Knicks, but then he just kind of bounced around towards the end of his career, ended up going and play overseas. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who won rookie of the year with the Phoenix Suns. So if you want to look at hardware, he has more than Sean Marion does. He has more all-star appearances. But, yeah, that one's really hard, man. I mean, if I'm leaning anywhere, I'm going Sean Marion just because he was an original son before Amari. He was drafted earlier. Um, but you honestly, you can't go wrong either way. It's just – it's it was a matter of time for these guys to finally get in here. But, you know, I just can't wait, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for it. I think it is, like it is deserved. Um, I don't want to rehash with Ben here the conversation about retiring numbers because we know where that'll lead to. But uh, yeah, with Amari, uh, he's one of those last guys that was drafted straight out of high school, which makes it all the more impressive that he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, I mean, Ian, for, for your money, aside from guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, who are the other like last of the greats that got I mean, I don't know if Amari's a great, but the last of like the quality players that were drafted straight out of high school, can you even think of one to, to put you on the spot? Uh, after LeBron, no, because I like they, I, I'm starting to think of players that took advantage of like playing overseas. Wasn't Brandon Jennings drafted super young? Like when you're talking about greats, it's none after LeBron. Honestly, um, I'm I'm getting in. I'm pulling you know deep names out of my ass trying to think of like anybody that has been drafted if not out of high school then very soon 
after high school and that's really the only name that comes to mind is people that have just played overseas got take took care of the of the minimum that they have to do and then you know option for the draft yeah now i i'm sorry to put you on the spot there because i until i pulled up this list here i probably couldn't have thought of many and honestly not a few not any names that are of the quality of lebron james but maybe of amari stoudemire in guys like uh dwight howard and josh smith got who Ooh. got drafted you know not like out of high school i know mike has the soft spot my guy josh smooth. smith jay smooth baby absolutely <laughs> jr smith was in that same draft as well guys like sean livingston yeah andrew bynum was one of the last ones as well monte ellis Nobody ever really reached the height of LeBron James. I mean, at one point, maybe you could have said Dwight Howard, who was in that second to last draft in 2004. But, I mean, maybe there's a reason why we don't see high schoolers coming in any, anymore, you know? Yeah, and, and that's a fair point. I mean, there, there's that a reason they have that one year. is the, the NBA is very physical game, and I think they saw – more people out of more players being drafted out of high school that weren't able to find success more than those few guys, those diamonds in the rough who were, but I don't know, man. It's just, I think it's a really good thing. Um, the ring of honor, they're obviously going to retire 31 for Sean Marion and 32 for Amari Stoudemire. So Devin Booker gets to continue wearing the number one. Um, and yeah, man, I just think, uh, what was I going to say here on, uh, on the Suns team. Yeah. If, if anyone doesn't know, I know Tom and you weren't too, too huge of a Suns follower growing up. Right. Was that, did you really watch much basketball in that era? No, it was, uh, it was all about the Diamondbacks. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would say that for anyone who doesn't know or doesn't remember, I think for my money, that Suns team in like through from 05 to 07, they were the closer to winning a championship than any Suns team in my lifetime. And that includes the Suns team that was up 2-0 on the Bucks. Is that is that out of bounds? Um, I mean, they had the talent, but unfortunately, Mike D'Antoni didn't go very deep within the bench. So by the time that they did hit the playoffs and the longer stretch, you know, down the end in the Western Conference Finals, they didn't have the legs to keep up. I mean, that season 0405, they went up against the powerhouse in the San Antonio Spurs, who ended up winning five championships in what a decade. Then you go up against the Dallas Mavericks, where Dirk Nowitzki just went to work and was kind of on his, you know, all level, you know, era as well, where he eventually got a championship in 2011, which, you know, is kind of a sore subject, Chris, because Sean Marion was on that Dallas Mavericks team. And for a very long time, I was kind of upset about it, right? Because of those years that I experienced in the arena where we were so close. And then Steve Nash gets checked into the wall and Joe Johnson breaks his nose off of a crazy foul and all these opportunities that seemed like were taken right in front of us and Sean Marion and another guy, Jason Kidd from the Phoenix Suns and another guy with Valley ties, Jason Terry. It just seemed like all these Arizona guys got that championship with 2011 Dallas Mavericks. So it was tough to see, but didn't last long. Glad he won a chip. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, you, you want to root for those guys. It sucks. He couldn't get them with us, but I just, for my money, I think we're close. We were closer then. And had we not had Amari Sotomayor, and uh, who else get ejected in that or get suspended for that one game? Oh, Boris Dio. 
Boris Diaw and Amari. Yeah. yeah, Boris was a difference maker. He was strong on defense. But Ben, we got Sean Marion, we got Amari Stoudemire heading to the Ring of Honor. Who do you think the next Suns player after them will be to get into the Ring of Honor? Oh, I mean, the answer is obvious, and it's a twofer. It's the Morris twins. <laughs> the Morai. Oh, what was I thinking? You know, they share a bank account, they share a love for their mom, and they share our hearts. Oh, they share a love of, for something, that's for sure. <laughs> that has to be my favorite NBA story, is that that's when good. they got to the Suns, they shared a bank account. Oh, God. So both of, their, both of their paychecks would go to the same account, and they would just split it. You ever see the conspiracy theory that is about the last time the Wizards were in the playoffs, I think it was, when they had either Marcus or Markeith, and one of them got injured, and then he made like a miraculous recovery. So people are starting to think that like, oh, it was the other one. They just like had him throw on his brother's jersey. It's like that old like have your twin take the test for you or like switching yeah. <laughs> classes while you're in school. That's hilarious. I I don't like the uh, Morris twins very much, uh, but I didn't know that, Ben. I didn't know they shared a bank account. I did know that when the contract negotiation rolled around, they were sat down together and given one price and told that they could divide it up how, how they chose. So it's funny that they had to divide it up if they were sharing a bank account. It's like, just you know, let it rip. What do we got here? Hello. I don't know. I think, I think Ian has a point. They are very similar. <laughs> They're twins, Ben. Oh, you know. Do twins, they have the same tattoos? Twins. Do they have the same tattoos also? I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. Oh, good lord. Oh, my God. It looks Dude, like you know, it from... You know that they dated the same woman and, like, uh. just pull, pulled a, uh, what do you do, a dip de doo on him at least one time in their life, right? Oh, they the old switcheroo. <laughs> the good old switcheroo. My goodness. That's that's gross, Mike. <laughs> I don't want to see Michael Benjamin's search history now. <laughs> My yeah. VPN is on and strong, baby. Good, good, perfect, perfect. We won't have uh, Mike getting, uh, what was it, swatted here, hopefully anytime soon. <laughs> but yeah, Suns, Suns basketball is also right around the corner. I think we're a little, a uh, little like two months away, or is it? It's not till October, right? So we still got some time. We still got some time. USA basketball is playing right now. Um, their roster has gotten criticized, but it's just like FIBA. I think the Olympics aren't till uh, 2024, so next year the Summer Olympics will be going on. So we'll see what the team looks like then. I'm not too worried about FIBA cups or whatever it is. Well, the U.S. isn't ranked number one in FIBA. As the, well, World Cup, the FIBA World Cup is basically the World Cup, the soccer World Cup of basketball. So this is like the premier outside of the Olympics tournament worldwide. Yeah, and definitely not surprised that U.S. isn't ranked up top anymore. I mean, we've seen the NBA has been absolutely taken over by European players, so not surprised. I don't think Canada is doing anything as good as teams like what? Australia is really Australia's good. Australia's got a good team. Who can name the current number one FIBA team? Serbia's got to be up there, right? The U.S. is playing Serbia this week, and they go on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And Luka's been confirmed. Does Spain still probably got a decent team, right? 
There it is. It's Spain, Spain is number one. Yep. Wow. There you go. That's see, it's a global game now though, and I do like that. Um, obviously, like if we did like if we really had the best players out there, I think it would be a different story. But even when they did in the either in the last Olympics or whatever it was, they didn't they still didn't run the table uh, necessarily. They still had to run for their money. Um, so it, it's interesting, but like I said, I think they care more about like the Olympics than they do about the FIBA cup, whether that's good or bad, uh, but it's still, they still got pretty solid squad. Uh, former sons, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are on that team doing their thing. I think I saw a pretty good stat line from uh, Cam the other day. I know Mike, I know you miss Mikhail. I do Wait, too. Ian is Ben Simmons playing for, um, Australia? Is uh, yeah, is he playing for Australia? I don't I haven't seen anything that says he's playing. I think he's saving all his energy for the eight games of regular season NBA basketball <laughs> that he's gonna play. I was gonna say, man, I feel like that probably would have been a good chance for him to get out there and start changing the narrative. But they hey, make your money, boo boo. They don't need Ben Simmons. They got Josh Giddy and Jock Landale. They're gonna be just fine. <laughs> Jockey jock. So yeah, Suns, Suns basketball right around the corner. NBA season coming up, but another season coming up and uh, having their first preseason game tomorrow, the 11th of August are our Arizona Cardinals. First game coached by a uh, new head coach, Jonathan Gannon and the like, and the company uh, they're taking on the Denver Broncos. Is that right? Tallman? Yes. Tomorrow at seven. Pretty, pretty sweet. We're going to see Colt McCoy uh, getting his looks. There's only three preseason games now, uh, not four. So I think these coaches are getting their uh, starters out there earlier than we probably would have seen for the first preseason game. Um, so it's probably, I imagine all all the quarterbacks will get some snaps. You'll, you'll have Colt, Clayton Toon. Uh, who are the other two? Uh, Blau and Blau, David Blau and Jeff Driscoll. That's right. So does that mean then, because I think I've heard them reported in that order. Does that mean that Clayton Toon is our third string officially? Yes. Uh, on the depth chart they re- they released, he's, he's number three. I like it. I, I, without having seen him take a single snap in a Cardinals uniform, I'm already pulling for Clayton Toon, hoping that he can be the stud here. Uh, Tallman, do you think that he can do enough in preseason to take the starting job from Colt, or do you think we're still going to see Colt week one? No, we're going to see Colt week one. Um, I mean, that's why that's why they kept Colt around. I mean, he's a veteran guy. I mean, you could sit here and say, well, you know, why not throw the rookie out there in week one? Well, we know what happens when you throw a rookie out there week one, especially a rookie that's going in with brand-new coaching staff, brand-new scheme. Um, and then his offensive coordinator is what, 35 years old. His, the defensive coordinator is 30 years old. And then Gannon's gotta be, what is he like 41, 42? So I like that. I, and then you think about the offensive line. We don't even know what that offensive line is going to look like. Um, I mean, do you really want to put that rookie out there in the line of fire? So the veteran guy is going to get the nod week one. Um, you got to sit there and, try to win games. I think Colt McCoy gives you the best chance um, sitting here now, as we haven't seen them play a snap of actual meaningful football. So sitting here on paper, yeah, he, McCoy gives you the best chance to win football games. And this team can't sit here and roll out the rookie. And it's going to look like, are they even trying to win? So we're going to see McCoy out there week one. 
Yeah, not surprised, Tallman, honestly. We know what you can get out of Colt McCoy. He's been serviceable within the past couple of years as the backup. You know, when Kyler Murray eventually went down each season with a little knickknack here or there, and unfortunately last year with his ACL. But man, I I don't I still don't know how to feel about it, to be honest with you. Um, because of just what we know with Colt McCoy. And, and I understand you want to give a grace period to these young guys, but let's look in the mirror at the same time. Is Clayton Toon the future of the Arizona Cardinals at the quarterback position? Is he somebody that's going to come in and be a Brock Purdy and take over and be the starter for the next five years? The answer is no. He's a stopgap guy until Kyler Murray comes back or next year you make a decision to move in a different direction. So why would you just not give him the opportunity to learn from his mistakes and lose football games for this Arizona Cardinals team? Because that's what we're trying to do here at the end of the day, right? Right? Yeah, but losing football games doesn't sell tickets, doesn't sell merchandise. It doesn't give that the city the buzz that this ownership wants to see, right? And so they can't – I see what you're saying. Is two in the future maybe – no, maybe he's not. Obviously, the and, guy that we paid two hundred twenty million dollars is going to be the future. We're forced of we're forced that to have that as our future. And thirty eight year old Colt McCoy gets you buzzing and gets no, more asses into the seats. No, but you know you send the guy out there with Cardinals fans and everybody else yeah. is from the other team. Oh, well, <laughs> of course, and and that's well, at least we have that going for us, right? Um, but Clayton Tune, the only the only positive I could see is rolling him out there, showcasing him a little bit, a little bit, and then he becomes trade bait, right? Maybe you can trade him off for a third or fourth round pick, you know, to a team that's like, Hey, I like that kid. Let's bring him in. You know, a, a team that's more quarterback needy than, than we are. But I'm just not a fan of throwing the rookie out there week one when you don't have to, when you have McCoy, McCoy came, he was going to retire over the off season. He came back because he knew Kyler Murray was hurt and he knew he'd have this opportunity one last time to shoulder the team, to shoulder the weight and try to win some football games until Kyler could get back. That's why he's here. If he wasn't going to start, he'd be sitting on his couch watching week one. What you're saying, Tallman, is throw Cole out there week one, and by week six, once he's injured, then Clayton Toon gets to be the starter. Yes, that's that's also, <laughs> also a very likely scenario because he is injury prone. I mean, he can go out there and start two games, and then it seems like by the third game, you know, his knees are made of glass and the dude just goes, he can't last. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to see Clayton tune. I mean, Kyler's not going to be back till probably week 10. I bet you we see Clayton uh, start his first NFL regular season game this year. I know that for sure. It's going to happen. The old man's bones are too brittle, man. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. But at the same time, I do understand, especially with what's going on with the running back position as well. You know, we bring in a veteran piece in Marlon Mack, hoping to see if we can spell some carries from James Conner. And the guy busts his Achilles on just a simple wheel route out in practice, non-contact injury. Is it the turf? Is it still from the sod father from the Super Bowl? Are we having hangovers with the turf, unfortunately? But, you know, you're going to get better progressions. You're probably going to get better spread of the ball from Colt McCoy to start the season. So you can figure out what you're going to do in the backfield. Whereas if you're bringing in Colt, uh, Clayton Toon to start, 
you're going to really have to rely on James Conner early and often and whoever else is in that backfield. And I mean, we already kind of thought that because Kyler Murray's out, but if you can spell it a little bit to make sure you can get through 17 games, I get it at the end of the day. And I, I am curious in what you said there, Tom, and it got me thinking where you're saying maybe midseason or before Kyler comes back, you get to roll tune out there and get him some film, showcase him to the league a little bit as maybe some trade bait. But at the same time, like Ben, I'll, I'll loop you in here. Any football team at any level, you want a capable backup in your in your wings, able to take over if your starting quarterback should go down. So if this might be the last season of Colt McCoy, wouldn't we want a guy like Clayton Toon or a serviceable backup to stay on the roster if Kyler Murray inevitably tweaks something and misses a few weeks, God forbid, the, the rest of the season? Oh, for sure. And I don't think that we want to go back to being a team where players go to die to have their last few years on the, not to die literally, but to have their last few years before they retire and be in the Cardinals collecting fat, fat paychecks, living in Arizona and then being like, all right, I retire now with grace and dignity. No, I want to see some young guys come in, get their shot and us to actually learn about their names, learn about their skills and see that, see that happen. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like Tom and what, what what do you did that change your mind? Should we keep Clayton Tune as the solid backup or keep David Blau in case of emergency? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you saw Blau. No, Blau's not going to make the roster, or he's going to. I think he'll be on the roster until they activate. Uh, what's his face? Tyler. The two hundred million dollar guy. What's his um, face? Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you saw Clayton Tune jump up. I mean, the dude hasn't played an NFL snap. You saw him jump up on the depth chart. He's here to be the backup. We know that, right? But you get to that point where, like a Brock Purdy uh, situation, where if your backup's forced to play, which right now our backups are forced to play, and they shine, and you got people coming in, hey, I want to, I want that dude. I mean, look at the what the Patriots did. They sold off. They got the a king's ransom for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots because Tom Brady was out. They threw Jimmy G in. The dude won a handful of games, and then they just—he was trade bait. See you later during the off season. They cashed in, you know. Um, so Clayton Tune's the backup, but I mean, if your backup's worth that much, he, or he's worth more to you on a different team than on your bench, then it's time to get rid of him. But um, that's crazy to think about because you know we we should be sitting here not talking about our being worried our starting quarterback's going to get hurt every year, which um, seems like that's something we just have to worry about here in the desert in Phoenix. But um, I hear what you're saying. Clayton Toon is the backup. Like, like I said, if, if uh, Kyler wasn't hurt, McCoy wouldn't be here. That's my opinion. I think McCoy would say, you know what? All right, I'm cool. I'm cool. Not going through another off season, another training camp. You know, I, I'm just, I'm done. You know, I had a good send off. I won a couple games last year, this and that. He wouldn't be here if he didn't need to be. And Toon would be our backup right now. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, for me, it's kind of twofold, right? Because when you look at Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon, they're pocket passers. And it seems like that's the direction Jonathan Gannon wants to go with the offense. He even said, I, I don't care. I'm putting Kyler under center and he's going to get used to that. But why I say it's twofold is because when you consider Kyler Murray's game, he relies on rolling out of the pocket to be able to get those passes downfield. And when you roll out of the pocket, you're more susceptible to injury. 
Uh, so Mike, to bring it back a little bit, when you're looking at Colt McCoy versus Clayton Toon, obviously Colt McCoy has far more experience, especially in the NFL. Toon has none. But do you think there's something to be said for them both getting Jonathan Gannon's playbook at the same time and having to learn it at the same pace? Um, honestly, I would say no. And more so because the the speed of NFL is just way different than college. And, you know, I know Clayton Toon played at Houston's, but it wasn't against Big 12 competition just yet. Right, Ben? Or am I wrong here? Was Houston already in the Big 12? No, this is going to be Houston's first year. So, you know, mid-major conference, not the highest competitions. You're talking about guys like Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa and all the other Bosas coming at you. <laughs> like, it's you can get the playbook at the same time, but Colt McCoy has the experience to understand when you have to take the checkdowns, when you have to kill your progressions and and just go with what you know, whereas it's going to take time for Clayton Toon. So he can have the playbook completely dialed in, but it's still not true pressure that he's really ever seen in his life. And Colt McCoy has started multiple games in the NFL, so you've got to give him the edge when it comes to that. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, when it comes to the Cardinals in this upcoming season, not only in the game tomorrow, but going through the – first couple preseason games and into the regular season games. For me, I think the goal is for the team to look like they know what they're doing, look like they are under control and organized and just not look stupid. Because under Cliff Kingsbury, they oftentimes looked very aloof. King Kingsbury often looked extremely overwhelmed and like he had no clue what he was doing. Does that sound like something that's within the realm of like, as you see it now, do you think that they're going to accomplish that? I'll open it up to whoever wants to grab that one. All right, Ben. <laughs> you know, I I think Jonathan Gannon is coming in with more NFL coaching experience than Cliff Kingsbury ever had. So in that sense, I'm hopeful. But I think that the main part is going to be the ownership. When our ownership changes is when we're actually going to see something positive and change actually happen happen to this franchise. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a culture change too. We've even had some players say that so far where it's like, it was, you could kind of roll in late to practice without any consequence. I mean, we even saw it on hard knocks. Me and Tallman were talking about there. There was a guy making pancakes in a player meeting. It's like when you're trying to run a professional football team, like you just can't have Which that. lineman was that? Oh, I can't. That's a great question. Maybe it, wasn't, can... it wasn't Humphreys, right? God, I hate that show, HBO Hard Knocks. <laughs> Hard Knocks has taken a major, massive dive off a cliff. But Ian, to loop you in here, I know you're, you're a big football guy. But when, when you're talking about really any professional sports team, I mean, we even saw someone come out and say it about, I think, the Tigers, where they said the, organize, the organization is just totally – uh, dysfunctional, where there's guys sleeping in the bullpen. It, it, that that all starts at the top down, right? For like any sports team. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, when it when it's it's things like that, like people sleeping in the bullpen, anything like that. That's that's gonna be. I'd be looking at management, maybe front office as well. Uh, when it comes to to baseball specifically, um, I think that 
a manager is typically going to be a fall guy. Um, I'm kind of pulling from what I think should happen with the Yankees right now. But the next logical step would be the the GM would be the one that would have to go. And, and, and maybe a change there would be what makes it a more serious organization. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, to, to put it in, in context of, of your fandom, if, if you, as a Yankees fan, if you heard about Glaber Torres making pancakes during a film session, I, I assume baseball does film session or a time when it's a team meeting as a fan, does that really like instill confidence that this is a professional organization trying their best? Hell no. I mean, you, especially given the context of what the meeting is, I mean, it could be something very serious is going down where you're trying to snap a losing streak or something like that. And if you have, if that's the, the attitude and, and, and how things are going, then, you know, that's not going to instill confidence. That's going, if anything, lower the morale of the team and, and maybe uh, signal to other players that, you know, maybe maybe it's okay to not take the season so seriously, which is never something you want to see or hear about as a fan. It makes you want to check out entirely. Yeah, Tom, what, what what do you got? Oh well, no. So um, it was Lecky uh, Foto was making waffles, not pancakes. Oh, waffle! Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, but hey, he was making them from scratch, but. <laughs> Um, I love your. Love oh, he's your wasted kids. even more time not yeah. paying attention. No, Lucky Foto makes waffles from scratch in team meeting room. Um, but I love <laughs> your least, comparison. At least it was waffles, man. You yeah, know. waffles are better than pancakes. But True. comparing it to the the White Sox whole thing that came out what a week or so ago, and of course they came out and denied the hell out of it. I mean, looking at what Kingsbury. I mean, he lost that locker room last year. We all saw that. He gave up on the team. The guys gave up on him. They gave up on the season, except for one guy, one guy named uh, Abuder Baker. Um, but what scares me a little bit, uh, I know, Chris, you started this off by saying, um, you know, one of their main focuses is going to be being organized, you know, not getting those. My dog is trying to break into my room. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Someone's kicking down my door. Um, but not getting those. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ those uh, pre-snap penalties, not making those mental errors. And then even the coaches, if you, if you look at these are, this is going to be a new experience for all those guys. Gannon's not, Gannon's a first time head coach, your offensive coordinator, defense coordinator. They've never been coordinators before in a real NFL setting. So not only are we going to see a lot of new guys for us come out on the field wearing that Jersey, our whole coach coaching staff is going to be brand new at this. Uh, so they're going to have a little bit of butterflies. I can only imagine. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, the defensive coordinator is the same age as you know, three of us in this in this uh, stream. Sorry, guys, you're a little older than the three of us, Mike and Ian. That's that's some ageism for you. Ben's, um, a, little, Ben's a little older than us too. Don't don't worry about it. Ah, uh, well, he's still he's still <laughs> a, a month, Chris. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. He's All the right. same. I'll I'll take being the youngest here. Um, Baby but T. Tomorrow's going to be tomorrow night's going to be really interesting just to see how this team functions because i mean we've never seen them play a single down yet and everyone's writing us off they're gonna suck oh they have the worst talent or the least amount of talent in the nfl on paper but how can this team come together what's that new culture like how how are we going to perform as a team when it's the real deal so we got to have that little bit of preseason optimism right i mean you have to 
you can't be a fan and just go into the season just say, oh, this is going to suck, even though I pretty much said that a couple times where I have nothing to look forward to. But but at the same time, it's still it's still the team that we love. It's still the sport that we love, and we got to watch it. We got to have some type of hope. I'm still going to cheer them on to win every single week, even though in the back of my mind, when we lose, I'm going to say, okay, that was a little win because we need that high draft pick next year. So I don't know. Tomorrow's going to be fun, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. And, and just to kind of go back a little bit to Ian's point, I think from a fan perspective, when you see the team being unserious, it just kind of makes you scratch your head and wonder what the hell is going on? Where is the disconnect? And it does kind of start from the top down. And I do have reasons to be optimistic. Like you're saying, Tallman, I, I don't want to be the eternal pessimist that thinks the Cardinals are going to lose every game, even though that is very much so in the realm of possibility. But the reasons I'm optimistic mostly is because despite my criticisms of him so far, I think Jonathan Gannon is looking like a pretty promising prospect for head coach. I already mentioned some of the players talking about how it's been a bit of a culture shock with him being a little more strict with how the team carries itself, how meetings and practices are conducted. We even saw in the training camp where he said, if players get into a fight, they're done for the day, they're getting kicked out. And he held true to that. He kicked them out of the camp. Um, And when you contrast that with Cliff Kingsbury, and we saw guys making waffles, guys showing up late, the culture just clearly wasn't there. He constantly looked scared. Um, Just to wrap up this Cardinals talk, um, did you guys see the Johnny Manziel documentary on netflix or any hear anything about it ben basically i don't know if you had heard this but basically there was a clip in there where cliff kingsbury was saying that he didn't care if johnny came in hungover late or whatever as long as he could get the job done on saturdays does that does that shock you at all no because cliff was probably out with him that night before (laughs) that's so true that is so true there there was even one anecdote in there that Manziel was sharing, um, or maybe his agent or both, where he was saying basically like he was out uh, a night or two before the draft combine, and he was partying so hard that he blacked out, and he was like, I don't know if I did drugs or not. I, I don't know, because at the combine, you have to take like a, a urine test, like a drug test. And um, so they were trying to come up with this like elaborate thing to get him to avoid the drug test, where basically they went as far as like saying, oh, uh, to his dad, like, oh, you're going to check yourself into the hospital and say you're having like something going on with your heart. So then Johnny Manziel is only going to go to the combine for 12 hours and dip out. And so he'll have that excuse like, oh, my dad's in the hospital. I got to leave. And like his dad was like kind of his dad, like turned around and was like, oh, oh, you'll do it to his wife. He told his wife she would do it. And then she started getting like not comfortable with the situation. And I don't remember what the outcome of that ultimately ended up being. I think it was that Johnny said like, Oh, at AM, I used to always pass these drug tests where I can, I'll just drink a ton of water, sweat it out, and I'll have these drugs out of my system in three days. And come to find out that when he was at AM, it was like the fourth or fifth string quarterback was taking his P test for him. It's just. Just overall criminal activity from Johnny Menzel on a consistent basis. Are we surprised? No. Not I love the all. idea of Cliff Kingsbury being like, I don't care how many shots I buy him, as long as he gets the job done on Saturday. <laughs> all he has to do is throw the ball up to Mike Evans. He made, he made like $15,000 in a single night just by signing uh, anything he could. It was right before <laughs> he was about to graduate or get drafted. Uh, and just like, you know what? I'm broke. I need money. 
because the money was running out. So he just signed everything he could and then sold it in a single night. Yeah, and within that, because of the lifestyle he was living, his friend started the rumor that, oh, Johnny Manziel comes from oil money. He's actually rich. And so people didn't question why he was flying on private jets every weekend to go party. It was like, oh, well, his dad's rich, obviously, when no journalism was happening to look into that and see if that was actually true. I guess it was like his great grandfather or his grandfather or something like that did find oil, but it wasn't like making them multimillionaire, like crazy, just absolute craziness. It's, it's it doesn't shock me by any means. Um, you know, but pre NIL, we obviously saw guys like Reggie Bush and, and a ton of other athletes getting paid under the table and getting these deals. And, and like you said, like if you're broke and you're a college student, like, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to school full time and you're playing football too full time are you going to go work at the yogurt shop too to make a little bit of extra money like it's just not really not really sustainable from that perspective uh but ian to your point i imagine a lot of teams felt that way about ron artest too whereas like we don't quite care if you're going down to the liquor store at halftime to get a fifth of hennessy as long as you come back in and can play defense and score some buckets when we need it i don't know but yeah cardinals Preseason game tomorrow. Oh, that's right. One last thing on the Cardinals. Tom, and you were telling me a bit about these preseason ticket prices. How are they looking? Uh, well, let's just say you can get a ticket for $4. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're very tempting because if you compare the preseason, preseason ticket prices to what the regular season is going to be, I don't know if you guys have looked at our first home game ticket prices right now. It's it's a little ridiculous. I don't want um, to. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there looking at the preseason tickets like, damn, I get uh, a ticket for four. Granted, you're up top. You know, it's top level for $4 after fees and things like 10 bucks out the door. But I'm like, okay, this might be like the only opportunity where it's worth even going down to the stadium this year because I'm not going to pay $150 to sit all the way up in the rafters and then drive an hour and a half out to fucking Glendale to watch us get stomped 31 to 10. Like, what are they even thinking? I mean, the product they're going to put on the field, they're going to turn around and charge that astronomical prices for even sitting up on the upper level. Granted, 150 is probably a little dramatic on my part for upper level. I'm sure it's probably 70, 80, $90. But after fees, you know, after you get a little bit of action and the you know what from some of these ticket sellers, uh, with those extra fees, I mean, it's, it's just such an expensive trip. It is. And I was even saying that it's like, oh, yeah, three dollar, you know, six dollar ticket is enticing. You know, it's probably like twelve fifty after convenience fees and taxes and whatnot. But you're going to spend that much on gas and a hot dog and a beer going out there more than the actual ticket. I mean, with with that all aside, like, Ben, picture that you still live in Tempe or Chandler is are those ticket prices low enough for you to want to drive out to Glendale to go see a miserable ass team? No. I never wanted to go to Glendale to begin with. <laughs> Plain that is, that's the right answer. The farthest west I go in the valley is castles and coasters. And that's it. <laughs> that's that's on that's on I-17 too. That is Glendale. Do you stop at the Castle Mega Store when you're out there too? <laughs> no, not not in a long time. I still haven't had the pleasure. Um, no pun intended. But 
Mike, while, while we're talking about tickets, I know this is going backwards a little bit, but I did see something on uh, the interwebs earlier this week about the Phoenix Suns and their season ticket holders, where in past years, I might be fudging the numbers a little bit, at least this one, they were only allowed to sell, I think, like 40 or 50% of their tickets. They were only allowed to resell that many. And now that's gone up to 90% that they're able to resale. So a big concern is that this is going to cause these games to be flooded with more Warriors fans and Lakers fans and Mavericks fans than Suns fans. Do you think that's a realistic concern or do you think there is still enough Valley fans that want to get on that resale market and buy tickets? I think there'll be enough Valley fans just because where the level of the team is at. And there'll be those people who will be like, Oh, you know, I'll give up some scratch this year to make it out to uh, a game and wear my new sunburst Jersey that I got or my old Valley shirt and, make it out one time, you know, a year. The one thing you have to remember about basketball is, yeah, NFL ticket prices are a lot. I was looking at these upper uh, level ones, 89 bucks. There's some midfield row 20 for 219. If you're talking about what's going to happen with the Phoenix Suns tickets, if you want to sit in the lower bowl, it's going to be $350 minimum. So, you know, Unless you really love the Charlotte Hornets and LaMelo Ball, I, I don't know how many different types of fans will be out there. You always have to counter with the Los Angeles Lakers because they have plenty of fans out here. You'll have some Golden State Warrior fans. But this is also going to be a hot spot for celebrities to come out to games, right? It won't just be on the floor it'll be other people who want to come out and see this son's new big three go up against lebron james and anthony davis for maybe one of the last times in lebron's career so it's going to be a star-studded event um at the footprint center this year and it's going to be expensive that is for sure most definitely and and now that i'm thinking about it a little more it was uh you're only allowed to sell it was before whatever percentage it was like 40 50 percent and then the 90 resale that was only you could resell as many tickets as you wanted but that was the threshold if you still wanted to have access to playoff tickets so i guess it well it's a mixed bag um but yeah that's the phoenix suns uh and the cardinals like i said preseason games tomorrow and then the regular season's just i think four weeks away now so we got an NFL uh, preseason preview live stream next week uh, on Wednesday. So make sure you're tuning in for that. We'll have some special guests on for that as well as we uh, kind of deep dive the upcoming season for the Cardinals and for the entire NFL. This is a, a stream where we also kind of look at um, fantasy football a little bit. We have our uh, friend Chev, who's an expert in all things fantasy football. So if you're trying to figure out how you want to build your roster for this upcoming season, if you haven't drafted already, make sure you tune into that stream so you can get some insight. But fellas, we are about an hour, 15 minutes in here. I want to talk about one more topic if you guys are awake enough to go into it. And that is the Arizona Diamondbacks. We had to save the worst for last in this case. I think that might be a toss up between them and the Cardinals right now, but they are, one and nine in their last 10 games and two and, and still somehow two and a half games out of the wild card spot. Just an absolute downward spiral, not looking real good. Uh, Ian, have you been keeping up with this uh, Diamondbacks downfall? A little bit. Um, coming out of the all-star break, it's one of those 
situations where I, I, I think everybody kind of could smell the blood in the water that the, the Dodgers were going to start picking it up again and, and the other teams around them. And you, I'm, we've been, you know, sounding like a broken record saying it, that we needed to make a trade to enhance both our starting pitching and our bullpen. And that didn't happen at all at the trade deadline. You got one reliever and that was it. And then Tommy Pham for some reason. Um, so, I mean, it was coming, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, I feel like this was coming around. Like this is the other shoe dropping. I don't, I, I mean, it does suck to see, but it, for me, like just putting it in, into perspective, you know what I mean? You, you now have a window of competition by signing Corbin Carroll, as long as you have, um, and you have a foundation that you can build on going into next season. So no matter what happens with this team at the end of the second half, I feel like the Diamondbacks are in a better spot than they were going into the season and I think that that is is what should be taken away as a Diamondbacks fan is that there's still going to be optimism long term going down the road. This is not the year. This never was going to be the year, but the year's coming. And I think that that's the silver lining, right? When we talk about this young core, uh, I think some honestly smart moves made at the trade deadline. They didn't completely, you know, go all in to get something that's going to help us win now, because I think even they recognize that, yes, it will be nice if we can get into a playoff spot, but is this team poised to win a world series? And I think the answer is no. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record continuing to say that this team has exceeded expectations. And I think now coming back down to earth and maybe being more in line with the original expectations we had for them back in February and March. Um, But overall, I mean, it's just, it just really sucks when you see them lose this many, like Mike showed their eight straight games. I think another disheartening thing while you had that up in the top ticker, you see Colorado is beating the Dodgers one zero as we stream and we couldn't even get, a single lead against them in the entire two game series. But even still having Peralta, the guy we let go, um, all he, you know, it goes along with the youth movement, right out with the old in with the new, but it's just, those are, I think part of the growing pains that you're going to see when you have guys that have left our team finding success on their new team while we start to struggle. And I think, you know, Mike, are we starting to see a little bit of burnout from Corbin Carroll? He's since the trade deadline batting uh, 172 average with just five hits in eight games. Oof. I mean, you always have to remember with high expectation, it's always kind of tough, right? It's it's hard to stick within that threshold. The absolute runaway for the NL rookie of the year, you know, after the first two months, uh, first time rookie all-star starter for the franchise. Like there's just so many high expectations. And unless the guy is going out there and hitting three for five every night, it, it he just wasn't going to be able to live up to that. And it's truly unreal expectations. And one thing about baseball and please Ian jump in if I get this incorrectly is it's a big team sport, man. When guys are struggling around each other it just is infectious and it's like the plague. And this is what's happened with this Diamondbacks team. And, you know, Ian had some great points and it's how we really should feel as Diamondbacks fans. But at the same time, I've always talked about this where you have to change expectations every once in a while. 
when you lead the NLS for a month straight, when you're 16 games over 500, when we get swept two out of three series and drop eight games in a row and are on the ropes, where's Tori Lovello coming out with the fire that he has last night after finally dropping under 500? It's like it's too little too late, right? Like where has this fire and this urgency been since the last week of June? It, it, we just haven't seen it. So it's always disheartening to see your team go through this kind of a slump. And what, I think we've lost 23 of our last 30. And it's been a travesty night in, night out with bullpen crashings and Paul Seawald coming in, giving up um, a blown save on the first pitch of his ever, his first ever save opportunity in a Diamondbacks uniform. I mean, you can't make a worse first impression than that. But so that's just where this team is at right now. And we just got to hold the course. And and like Ian said, you know, remember that there are better days ahead. And my goodness, I'm glad you brought that up because Tallman and I had just finished up a round of golf and we were listening on the radio. We heard him bring in Paul Seawald for his first uh, save attempt of his Diamondbacks career, if you will. And uh, I had to get some gas. So I roll into the gas station. And as I'm pulling in, uh, he gives up that first home run and it's tied up. So he already blew the save on the first pitch. I'm like, okay, he blew the save, but we haven't lost the game yet. I get out of the car to pump gas. I get back in not three minutes later, and they're announcing that the game is over and a two-run two shot to lose it. I mean, Tolman, is, is, are we going to regret the Paul Seawall trade when, it, when it's all said? Is he going to be the next Mark Melanson? No, I don't think so. I mean, you saw him come in the night before and strike out the side in one inning. Um, I, I mean, he's a he's a serviceable closer. He's he's going to be. I think he's going to be a good addition going forward. I don't think he'll be another Melanson, um, where he's a what shines one season and then just totally falls off the edge the next. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. I mean, he really hasn't had an opportunity to come in to you know, get an actual save except for the one that Mike described to us that he blew up in uh, the first pitch. But I mean, you got to be in positions to win. You got to be in positions winning baseball games to give this guy an opportunity to come in and really show you um, what he can do when the team's holding the one run two run lead in the ninth inning. So uh, I think he's going to be, I think it was a good trade. Um, He's a, a, immediate upgrade over anybody else that could be throwing that ball. I mean, who would you rather have it be Seawald in one pitch, blow the save or uh, Castro, or um, we already got rid of the share if you're your favorite guy, but I mean, it's how that bullpen's already going. I wasn't surprised, but I mean, that happens sometimes it's major league baseball. You're, you're throwing against major league hitters and sometimes you're not always throwing your, your, uh, your best stuff. So I think he's going to, improve from i mean you can't okay you can't get much worse than that right so it's only up from here for uh mr seawald in arizona yeah that's a fair point uh, he just maybe he just wanted to damper the expectations a little bit so that he can really start finding his flow and it's not fair to judge a guy off one inning off one game so i i think i'm with you i'll give i'll give seawald another chance to, to redeem himself and hopefully we can get him some more damn save opportunities because right now, he's, he's just wasting away, getting cobwebs on him over there in the bullpen. I, I just I don't think there's too much we can really say about the Diamondbacks without sounding like a broken record. And I feel like there is going to get be some fatigue in the Valley where 
there were these high expectations. We were riding these highs, talking about all these crazy stats that we had to start the first few months of the season. And now since really the all-star break, it's been the same story where this team's just on a downward spiral. And I can't remember a time uh, me being more frustrated with a team or uh, with this team anyway. Tom, and I thought you were going to say something there. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, you, you mentioned the all-star break. We're five and 19. We're the worst team in baseball since the all-star break. We're worse than the athletics right now. We're worse. We're the worst team across everybody. It's, it's crazy. It's embarrassing. And I mean, you guys mentioned the, you know, Oh, we got, you know, we have to look forward to the future. Yeah. You know, we have some bright spots here and there. Um, Carol's definitely getting worn out, but then we've always been doing this thing. Oh, well, what about a year ago? If someone told you, um, at this point of the season, the D-backs would be this or that. Or now at this point, what if I told you the D-backs pretend that we didn't lose whatever and we're one game under? Say we're 500. Oh, the D-backs are going to be 500 on August 10th. Oh, yeah, I would take that. But no, Mike mentioned it. How this season went. Yeah, we didn't have those expectations, but we built up those expectations after watching this team consistently go in and be competitive and whoop some ass on the diamond, you know, night in, night out where we were starting to feel like, Hey, this is what we got to do on a consistent basis. So now I think if we don't win, if we don't finish over 500 if we're not at least close to a wild card or if not get a wild card spot, I think this season's a failure. It has to be, you can't sit here and be over or 15 games or more over 500 and just go on this huge absolute shit, uh, shit fall of going five and 19 from the all-star break. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how the season can be a success. And it's even sad because we look at, I mean, every game for the past two weeks, every game we're, we go and uh, we're going into and playing it for the Diamondbacks, I don't feel like they can win. I don't feel like they can win another game until we see some sort of life out of this team or something needs to click and change and someone needs to step up. You know, someone needs to get pissed off. We need, someone needs to have a, a serious talk. Who's going to be that that veteran voice in the in the locker room? Oh, you know, Tori Lovello's already chewed out some people, but hasn't been enough. So who's going to get this kickstarted and get this turned around? Because that's not who these guys are. So I know I totally just went on a tangent there, um, but I will give it back to you guys. <laughs> no, Tom, and I mean you're hitting a lot of the nails on the head there, and like you said, I echo exactly what you're saying. You just have to change the expectations when you start the way that this team does. And it's just, it's disheartening. But man, I guess I'll toss it over to Ben or Ian. Do you guys think that the Diamondbacks have a chance to really turn this thing around? I mean, what? We still got about a month and a half left of games. We got the the Padres, the next seven out of 10, who are basically chomping at our heels to. Uh, hop over us into third place <laughs> and i mean if we can't win those series or split or anything is there any chance that this team has at a wild card spot i'll answer that uh, question in two seconds sorry go ahead ben uh no seen <laughs> heard <laughs> plain and simple um, yeah, all right, you're two and a half games back of a wild card spot right now. Uh, you have the Reds and Cubs in front of you, and then the teams that have wild card spots are Philly, uh, San Francisco, and Miami. 
the three that are holding it are tough, tough teams. Uh, I can see you getting ahead of the Cubs if the stars align right. Cincinnati is going to be tough because they are a team that is extremely similar structure-wise to the Diamondbacks. They just seem to be holding on a little bit tighter and, you know, not in the middle of a free fall. They're, you know, it's replaced Corbin Carroll with Ellie De La Cruz. And it's kind of the same story. So I'm going to go ahead and say no as well. Um, I, I don't see it this year. Um, I still have a hard time saying that. I mean, obviously, you know, sliding nine games is, is tough. And, and to Talman's point, I do understand why you would see that the season is a failure, but as long as you have Corbin Carroll for as long as you do, there is going to be a window of competition that you have. And that's, that's, that's the the big thing that I want to highlight in that silver lining is basically that the team is not as lost as it was last year. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on. Is it Mike Hazen's fall? Is it Tori Lovello's fall? I, I want, I want to look for a scapegoat just as much as the next guy, but it, it really comes down to the players. You can, you can put them in these situations and we've seen what these players are capable of and they just got to get back to where they are. Um, I, I think I agree with Ben and Ian. I don't think it's going to happen this season, especially when you consider that the Padres are starting to come back into their own and live up to their original expectations where they're going to be right in that mix with the Reds and the Cubs and, and the Diamondbacks, hopefully. And if we can even get back to 50% of where we were and maybe going 500 or being more competitive, then we can have a chance. But it's just I'm not seeing it right now. And it it doesn't give me optimism that we're going to be able to reach that point. But, fellas, we're here about an hour and a half in. I got one last topic for us. Um, a fun little story I saw today about uh, ASU alumni. Uh, Phil Mickelson has apparently been following the Tallman ticket and has lost over $100 million gambling. Uh, was there a time frame on that, Ben? Uh, like what window was that he lost that? I think it was a lifetime. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, it was more than a hundred, and I think it's been like four hundred million is what he's lost gambling. But he he makes like sixty, seventy million a year though. So, but still, that's that's a fucking incredible number. Props to him. And the new allegations coming out in one of his old friends and gambling buddies' books that he was trying to bet on the twenty twelve Ryder Cup for for the USA to win, of which it was him, Tiger, and I forget who else. Uh, for the U.S., and they lost on the last day. So hopefully he didn't make that bet. Thanks. So he was betting on himself to win, not... Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm always okay with that. You know, bet on yourself. Mike, you got something here for us? Oh, can you... The audio? Yeah, is there audio with that? And Mike, when you did share screen, did you have the the include audio button clicked? Oh, did I not? That's the only thing I could think of. Share tab audio, yeah. Oh, weird. Come on, man. Let's see. Maybe this will do it. Tell me if it. Tell me if it goes. Uh, what are we playing for? What yeah. are we playing for? I haven't thought about that. You what do you mean you haven't thought about it? Well, 
what, what were you thinking about? Okay, well, Cam and I will play you guys. You and okay. uh, Honor Bond will play a nine holes for a G. Perfect. Uh, straight best ball. Perfect. Uh, and when you're down, when you're closed out, you can press for half. Not the full. Not the full. Okay. So you got to win the match to win. Yeah. And if you want, what we'll do is we'll go twenty-eight. If you shoot twenty-eight best ball, uh, it's double. Perfect. I love that. Okay. That sounds or good. Or better. Twenty-eight or better. He's playing a lot more. Uh, what are we playing for? I know some of those words. He's he's getting fleeced. Was uh, that Deshambo? Yeah, Deshambo's getting fleeced by Nick Pickleson. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, your be best ball, straight best ball, Grant G only. Be good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Great, 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 great. <laughs> that's a man that's been there and done that. That's for sure. Phil's looking every bit of fifty-three in that clip. <laughs> He's still the man, though. Did did I see what was like the total amount that he had bet though? Because I know it was a hundred million in losses reported. Did I see almost like a billion dollars in total bets? Does Phil have that much money? I mean, didn't he get I mean, a lot from the Saudis? The live tour deal is because he had so much debt from gambling. Oh damn! It's like the um, oh, the conspiracy theory that Michael Jordan had to retire for a year and a half because he got caught gambling. You guys <laughs> ever heard that one? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, in, in that book, it says uh, he says that Phil Mickelson has wagered over one billion dollars. In that's the time in, that he's done. That's insane. So lifetime though, he's down a hundred million apparently, which is uh not good. Not good. Dude, that's not bad. If you've gambled a billion, <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty impressive, man. I don't know. Whatever he's betting on, he needs to bring some of that over to the ticket, man. Because I'm the ticket's about to win. You know how many weeks the ticket's gonna win? It's gonna win as many weeks as the Arizona Cardinals this year. No. Oh, okay, are you gonna put a are you gonna put a bet on the Tallman ticket bets? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna bet. No, I'm gonna starts. I'm gonna bet with you guys. The Tallman ticket's gonna win as many times as the Cardinals win games. I'm gonna cut this clip in six months and uh, see what we Do see it. how that turned out. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness! So, oh and seventeen. Anybody? No, they're gonna win a couple. Just like you're gonna win a couple, man. Come on, don't be down on yourself. I know. I, I shouldn't have made that promise. But fellas, it's getting late. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's go around clockwise here. Uh, see if you guys have any last words or anything you'd like to share before we head out for the night. Uh, VSP Tallman, I'll give you the floor first. Yeah. Um... Tune in tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Arizona time. Uh, we're going to be able to watch Clayton Tune and see what he can give us and also see what what our uh, what our starters are going to look like. So check out them Cardinals. Miller? You know, rest in peace, the Pac-12. But the one good thing out of this realignment is we will never have to watch a basketball game on this monstrosity ever again. <laughs> so, Big Ten, I hope you know what you have coming to you because it is not pretty. I, I can appreciate there was a fire at that court the first time I saw it. I thought those like burn marks. I, I thought that my TV was broken. 
I can appreciate what they're trying to do there, but uh, I'm with yeah, you. Great taste awful execution. Ian, what do you got for us, man? Uh, I have nothing, man. Uh, I hope everyone has a fantastic week. And uh, RIP to Dale Gribble. Oh, no. I'm going to have to read about that. Mr. Benjamin. Sir. Yeah, Ben and Ian, appreciate you guys as always coming out. Tallman, Chris, Cardinals football is here, man. I guess the one thing that maybe I'm looking forward to is getting a Corbin Carroll bobblehead. That's it as far as the Dimebacks go. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, man. uh, We we aren't going to do any Cardinals recaps for the preseason, but you can bet that week one we will be doing Arizona Cardinals recaps every week. We're still doing bi-weekly recaps of the Diamondbacks despite their struggles. We got to keep you guys updated and in the in the loop on what's going on with them. So make sure you check those out here on YouTube at Valley Sports Plug. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, now X, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP, and over there on Facebook, Valley Sports Plug Arizona. We're going to keep bringing you content and live streams. I mentioned we got the NFL preseason kickoff show there next week, and uh, much more to come. So I thank you guys all for tuning in, watching back. I'm Chris Patrick for VSP Tallman, Mr. Benjamin, Ian, and Ben Miller. We will see you next time. Peace.